0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malcanji. If there was a word that needed to get out today to... Um... You know, the Bible says a a bruised weed he he will not break and a smoldering wick he's not going to snuff out. That means if there's some people that are weaning out and they're kind of dry spiritually or their fire seems to have really calmed down and quieted down. God's not interested in snuffing that fire out. God is interested in dipping those people into the kerosene of his spirit and setting them ablaze in these last days if there was ever a time to be on fire for God it is now if there was ever a time to make sure your account is settled with God and that you're not lukewarm or apathetic indifferent it is now because we are not in the last days Acts chapter 2 Peter said in the last days God will pour out his spirit and he was saying that the fulfillment of Acts 2 when the tongues of fire came and the baptism of the spirit and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues Peter said that those were the last days. That was like the beginning. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. So now, not only are we in the last days, we are in the last seconds. There's like a few little grains of sand left that are dripping through the hourglass of time. And this show is about to close up. And the the end of the age is upon us. And I don't say that to be some, you know, to scare you. Because if you preach Bible prophecy properly, it shouldn't scare you. It shouldn't uh, put fear in you. It should actually prepare you for the times that we're in. You know, the Bible says there were people called the sons of Issachar. And the sons of Issachar were... Hi, Michael Copa. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. Why don't we just greet Michael Copa as he's come in today and uh, clearly has some insecurity issues so Michael welcome to the broadcast today (laughs) he's a friend of mine the sons of Issachar the Bible says that they were they actually Um, separated themselves from the rest of the people on earth because they understood they knew the times that they were in. They understood the times that they lived in. Well, you know, one of the reasons that the disciples of Jesus, when Jesus said, come and let's pray and he brought them to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says there they prayed and he he said, now stay here, watch and pray I'm going to go a a stone's throw away and I'm going to pray by myself but you stay here and pray. Don't follow." asleep he came back once they were sleeping he said couldn't you couldn't you stay up with me one hour get up watch and pray the flesh is weak but the spirit is willing he goes out one more time comes back asleep again goes a third time asleep again and they were sleeping why because they couldn't see they didn't understand what was about to happen they didn't comprehend what Jesus was about to do they didn't understand Bible prophecy and as such they had nothing in them to keep them diligent and awake in the day that they were in well there's a lot of believers that are sleeping on the earth today a lot of people that literally I mean forget believers there are churches there are pastors there are ministries that even in times like this They've totally neglected to preach on Bible prophecy. When it's literally unfolding before our eyes, they have neglected to bring up what The scripture says about the times that we're living in. And as such, the people are unprepared. It's like Matthew 25, the ten virgins. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. The five that were wise, they brought oil with them. They They kept a reservoir of the anointing. They guaranteed, they made sure they were steered up. They made sure that they had the word of God burning in their hearts. They made sure that they weren't asleep. And the scripture says that when the bridegroom called and the Bible says that the trumpet was sounded forth, that the bridegroom came out and the five that were wise were ready to meet the master. But the five that were foolish, they didn't have oil in their lampstands. They said, let, let us have some of yours. But the wise said, no, lest we have no, none for ourselves. You know what that is? Those are spiritually dependent people. Those are people that are literally always dependent upon someone else's anointing. They're, de- they're piggyback faith Christians. They're always trying to piggyback off someone else's faith, someone else's consecration to the Lord, someone else's dedication to God. But God doesn't have grandchildren. You can't piggyback off your father's faith. You can't piggyback off your mother's faith. You can't Rely on your brother and your sister getting you into the kingdom. You have to make sure that there's oil in your lampstand so that you're ready to meet the master when he calls. And that day is coming quickly. So that's why I want to take the time today to preach to you about the signs of the end times. Because Jesus didn't say that that day is going to come upon you unexpectedly and that there's no way to even know that you're living in the season in which that day will happen. No. He said there will be clear cut signs in the last days things that you can there would be no ability to deny that you're in that season he said when the fig tree blossoms and produces fruit he said then you uh when the fig tree blossoms and produces leaves you know that fruit is coming and that the harvest is near and summer is near even so when you see these things happen don't be ignorant know that my return is near even at the door so let me read to you something what is the reason why do we study end time prophecy Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 8. I'm going to read this um, out of the New King James Version. Remember this and show yourselves. If you're just tuning in now, you'd be a great help to me if you share this broadcast. Uh, it, I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to help a lot of people today. Make sense of what's going on. And not only make sense, God doesn't want to just remove confusion from you god didn't place you on this earth to just walk about like a non-playable character in a video game where you're just you're just there god doesn't want you just to be there he doesn't he did not create you to exist he created you with a purpose and even though the scripture talks about things that are going to come on the earth in these last days he hasn't done it without providing a program that the church is to enforce and is to walk in, is the church is on assignment. Jesus didn't say the end's going to come and then, you know, just stay rapture ready, make sure you're clean and living holy, and that's about it. Jesus said in the midst of all this happening, Jesus said, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached, meaning there's going to be a revival. There's going to be an awakening. There's going to be a wind, a flooding of God's spirit that's going to inundate the earth. And what we saw in the former rain, which was Acts chapter two, will not be comparable to what we're about to see in the latter rain. Because Zechariah 10, 1 says, ask ye for the rain in the time of the latter rain. And I will make for, I will bring forth bright clouds and flashes of, 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 storm. And I'll pour out the former rain and the latter rain in the same month. The former rain was Acts chapter two. And you can see the early church, they didn't lack power. They didn't lack any, uh, anything to do. They didn't lack souls. They didn't lack any assignment. They didn't lack any Miracles, everything was flowing forth. The fear of God was in the land towards the church. In the last days, God said, I'm going to do the latter rain is going to be a combination of what I'm about to do in these last days and what you saw me do in the book of Acts. That's why I don't get along with people that say, oh, I wish I lived in the book of Acts. I wish I lived in the days of Jesus. I wish I lived in the days of Elijah. No, those that was the former rain. That was a portion. Now we're in the latter rain. We're in another, another time of God's prophetic agenda where the results, the miracles, the harvest. I mean, if you study Acts chapter 3, they saw... Acts chapter 2, they see 3,000 people come to the Lord. Acts chapter 4, they see 5,000 people come to the Lord. And then you move on and they're flipping cities. You move on to what's going on on the earth today. Don't be ignorant. Don't be so consumed with what the devil's doing on the earth that you're so ignorant or detached or disconnected with what God is doing on the earth. I mean, if you study the life of Reinhard Bonnke, it wasn't 5,000 here, 3,000 there. It was like 5 million here, 10 million there. In 10 years, he led like... Like 60 million people 50 million people to the lord in nigeria alone the the guy was a, a combine harvester you know i there's a man of god ted shuttlesworth senior who tells a story one day he was driving and on one side of the highway he saw there was a, a man with a little tracker tractor and he was um he was trying to plow his field he had a little farm and he was plowing his field and you know it a, he couldn't really cover that much space so He, it took him a long while just to cover a few, maybe an acre of land. And so he drove past it, and then he went, I think he went to preach a meeting, and he comes back the other way, and on the other side of the highway was a massive farm. And on that farm, he had several combine harvesters. And so what that guy with one tractor was able to do in an hour, that combine harvester ended up doing it in like three minutes. That's what God said is going to happen in the last days. Yes, wickedness would ab- will abound, but where wickedness abound, there much more shall the grace and power all the more abound. That it used to be... The church was like a little tractor winning souls here one region there but now God's raising up a people a, an army of soldiers dedicated consecrated empowered and filled with the spirit of God to be combined harvesters so it won't be a thousand here a thousand there it'll be five hundred thousand there five hundred thousand here a million here and ten million there God is ready to put to, to close the blinds on time but before he does he says arise and shine to the church for the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon you and Gentiles will come to the rising of thy brightness the Bible says Matthew 5 we're not to be a city set on a hill that should hide itself we're to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden we're to be a light a light a lampstand that's not put under a brush show, but it shines in such a way that people can see the good works of God done through us to glorify him in heaven we're the salt of the earth we're here to preserve we're here to, to, to maintain order on the earth but there's going to be a day which i'm going to talk about where the salt the lampstand every, where the church is going to be removed from the earth and then the antichrist can come and do whatever he wants but it's not his time yet it's not his time yet the devil it's not the devil's time prophetically yet it's not his time to take control of the affairs of the earth no the restrainer the spirit-filled church is still on the earth to put him on the flight to resist the devil so he can flee not just flee out of your home not just flee out of your body Not just flee out of your family, but to flee out of regions, to flee out of provinces, to flee out of states, to flee out of nations. The devil is trying his best now to take control over the order of the earth, but his best is not enough because the spirit-filled church, the pillar and ground of the truth, is still on the earth. And as we are the light of the world, the light shines in darkness and darkness can't comprehend it. Darkness can't do anything about it. The devil's time is not yet. Now is the time for the church to Rise and to put things in order to occupy until Jesus comes. Because remember, Christ is not coming for a beaten down, bruised, and battered church. He's coming for a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. And you're a part of that bride, and I'm a part of that bride. When well, now's a time for the church to rise and see the greatest things and vict- victories for God that we've ever seen in, in our history. Isaiah 46 Remember this and show yourselves. Men, recall to mine, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Declaring the end from the beginning. The first question I'm going to cover today is why study the end time prophecies of the Bible? Well, first of all, the Bible is about two-thirds prophecy. So you really can't get around not studying the the prophecies of the Bible because then you're not left with much. And the scripture here says that God is not like other gods. He's not like other religious uh, leaders. You know, there's no other book that's all prophecy. There's no other book that contains as much prophecy as the Bible. And if you study just the prophecies in reference to Jesus' birth, where he would be born, what seed he would come from, where he would live for the first two years of his life and then come back and live the rest of of his childhood, what he would do, the miracles he would see, the power that would be evidently shown through him, his death, the fashion, the way of his death, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection, his ascension. If the Bible so accurately predicted the, the first advent of Christ, then we can be certain It's not like 96% of prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming were fulfilled. It's not like he fulfilled 99.98, but there's still a few that, you know, will leave room for error. The Bible is a supernatural book loaded with supernatural prophecies which holy men of God spoke while they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. They didn't just say this because they were in a moment of ecstasy. They spoke this by the, the leading inspiration of the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture, not some scripture, not most scriptures. You know, I had a, I had a professor in Bible college that told me once that uh, the Proverbs were, not, were less inspired pretty much than the rest of scripture, that they were more like uh, probabilities rather than promises. And I, I just threw that out as quickly as I could. I could. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say most scriptures except the book of Proverbs and maybe some in Ecclesiastes are inspired. The rest are just probabilities. That if you do this, maybe things will work out for you. The scripture says all scripture is inspired of God. God breathed the Ruach, the Rema, the spirit inspired word of God. That the same breath God used in breathing man is the same breath. The life of God is contained in the word of God. So that you could not just put your eggs in it and hope they had. No, you can put your eggs in this one basket. If there's one basket you can put all your eggs in, it's in the basket of the Word of God. Because I guarantee it's not a basket that has holes in it. When you do things God's way, when you do things the way the Spirit instructs us to do it, the Bible says, if you'll listen to my instruction, I will give you rest from days of adversity. The Bible says, we declare, God said, I'm declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now I'm going to skip forward to Revelation chapter one, Revelation chapter one. I read the book of Revelation when I was like 11 years old before I left the church and stuff. And I tell you, it puts something in me that I never really doubted. That these things were going to come to pass. Even though I was in the world. Even though I was in sin. There was something in me. That was solid. And concrete. That I knew that I knew. There was a, a, a conviction of the reality. Of the things that I'm about to bring up to you. I didn't doubt it for one second. I remember one time. I was so high. I was on a mountain somewhere. I had smoked up. I was, on, I was on a mountain with a couple of friends. We were just chilling. And I remember there was a big, uh, hi, Ireland, Sharon Sobey. God bless you. There was a a massive lightning bolt that I saw come from the sky. And I remember reading what Jesus said, that as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So that, like, Scripture jumped into me while, while I was, like, under the influence of marijuana. And I remember calling home. In that moment, because fear gripped me. Did I miss the rapture? And I called home. And my brother picked up the phone. And my brother was not saved at the time. So it did me no good to know that he was still on the earth. I said, give the phone to dad. Because I knew if my father was still on the earth, then, you know, I was okay. I still had more time. So he handed over the phone to dad. And my dad said, hi, what's up? And I said, oh, nothing. Just wanted to hear your voice. And that was it. Hung up. Well, funny story is, uh, a couple of years, flash forward, I get saved. I'm in Mexico with my family now. We're on vacation. And while we're in Mexico, in a place called Hatulco, they have a me- like so many earthquakes every year. And while I'm sleeping, I'm, I'm married at, the po- at this time. I have my wife. In my, in my, uh, uh, we're in our bedroom. And uh, it's like 3 a.m. And I get waken- awakened by this massive earthquake. And our hotel was like on a hill, on a cliff. So I woke up and I grabbed my wife just in case, you know. And then earthquake lasted, I don't know, 30 seconds or such. Earthquake stops. There's kind of still like a swaying of the building. And then my phone rings. I pick it up and it's my brother, who at the time was still not safe. My brother calls me and he says, did you hear that? I said, yeah. And he says, okay, just checking if you're still here. And he hung up. He thought the rapture had happened then. And then my brother got saved not too long after that. Well, there's, there's a conviction that comes on you that I'm going to read in Revelation 1-3. When you study this book, it puts something in you that'll never leave you. It puts something in you that'll keep you strong in days of adversity. I remember having many dreams while I was not saved. It probably happened like three or four times a month where i would have dreams i remember one so vividly where i got i was i was in my dream i was in my bedroom and i get downstairs this was when i was younger i was still living at home and i get downstairs and i opened up the door of my house and i looked and the clouds were like you know the bible says like um the, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to to blood before the coming of the great day of the Lord. Everything in the heavens looked messed up. And then all of a sudden, there was a bright light, and it came to, like, take over, envelop the earth. And that moment, I woke up, and I knew that was the rapture, and I wasn't ready to meet the Lord. So it's like the Lord used this reading of the book of Revelations to put something in me that even when I was lost and away, I I couldn't get away from it. I had dreams. I would have I would have experiences where I knew I wasn't ready to meet the Lord, but you know to know something you can know today. I don't say that to just you know make you comfortable that you know what happened for him. Obviously, God will be patient towards me. No, God will not be God's uh prophetic agenda will be fulfilled in his timing. He's not, he is patient towards you, waiting for you to repent. But if you don't repent in time, that day's going to come, and it'll come upon you unexpectedly, and as a snare upon all them that dwell upon the face of the earth. But there's a way you can know that you're ready to meet the Lord. You, if there's one thing you shouldn't have a question mark in life at the end of this of, of any question, it should be this one question. If there's one thing you shouldn't be confused about, if there's one thing you shouldn't be gambling, it's your eternal destination. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Hell is by default. We, by nature, are children of wrath. By nature, we were all born in sin. We all turned aside. We all went aside to our own way. We all had become corrupt. We're like sheep that had gone astray. But God laid the iniquity of us all upon Jesus so that we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder whether we're right with God or not or work our way up into salvation. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get saved that way. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. God's grace was evident when we were still in sin. God demonstrated that grace and that love towards us that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Christ shed his blood for us. And if Jesus died while you were an enemy of his, how much more will he be good to you as your as his child, as his as as a as a member of the household of God. So I tell you, come Come to Jesus today. Don't leave that question unanswered. Don't bet against your salvation. The devil has cast a lot against you. God has cast a lot for you in sending Jesus. You decide the final cast, the final vote. Vote for Jesus today. Make sure that you have your right, your heart settled and right before God. The Bible says it's very simple. You need to admit that you have sinned, that you've come short of the glory of God. Then you need to believe, B, believe that you, that Jesus raised from the dead, that Jesus wasn't just a teacher or some philosopher, but that he is the son of God. And then C, you need to consecrate, commit your life to him from this day onward, that you say, Lord, you are my Lord, you're not just my savior, you're my Lord, where you go, I'm gonna follow. I'm repenting of sin, I'm turning away from this evil lifestyle. What things do not please you, I drop from me from today onward, I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. Make sure that I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end, that if you've not done that, you'll have an opportunity. And I'm inviting you to pray that prayer with me at the end of this broadcast. Number one, why do we study end-time prophecy? Revelation 1 and 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. There's a blessing in reading and studying Bible prophecy. There is a blessing that comes to a believer that engages and invests his life in the study of the scriptures that have... um, that relate to eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. The scripture says in Matthew 24, 44, Jesus talks about the end times and he ends it with this statement. He says, so you also be ready. Be ready. Be ready. So prophecy, studying of this prophecy, of the prophecies of the end times, it gets you ready. It prepares you. It arms you for battle. So that you're not clueless and worried and running helter-skelter every time a news article comes up. CNN posts one thing. Then MSN, ABC New- B- News posts another thing. And it, it seems like all these feelings of nervousness and doubt and skepticism and anxiety come on. You You can fight against that. There's going to be some messed up headlines that are going to hit the world's uh, news agencies in the next couple of months. There's already been some that... Ten years ago, you would have thought we're satirical. That stuff's not going to stop. That stuff's going to multiply and increase. Which leads me to my second question that I'm going to answer today. What are the clear signs of the end times? Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you're just joining me now, welcome to the broadcast. You can share this um, with your Facebook friends and stuff it would be a great help just at the bottom of your screen share now it's a very easy thing to do Matthew 24 I love what my friend Isaiah says he says people share uh, videos of cats doing backflips you can share a, a video of the gospel being preached Matthew 24 and verse 1 when Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple Jesus said to them do you not see all these things Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And verse three says, Now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I want to pause and talk about verse two. You know, the accuracy of Bible prophecy is incredible. I was talking about the the um, odds of Jesus fulfilling every prophecy that was spoken of him. In the scriptures, in the prophets, and in the Pentateuch, and you know, throughout the Old Testament, the odds of him fulfilling every single prophecy is the same as if you had filled the whole state of Texas, th- I forget, I think it's like three or four feet, with a, a quarter, an American quarter, and then in the vicinity of the state of Texas, you take one dime and throw it in, and tell someone to go and find that dime. Well, that's, it's the same odds of that man finding that dime as it is Jesus fulfilling every single prophecy that was spoken of him throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And Jesus fulfilled them, not 99.9, 100% of the time. From where he was born, from his, ancest- his ancestry, the lineage that he came through, to the time where he went to Egypt, fleeing from Herod, to the time he comes back and grows up in Nazareth, to even to the areas that he covers while he's ministering through his three and a half years of, of ministry, to the T. So if we saw that God wasn't, you know, batting 5,500 on that, then he's batting a 1,000 on the prophecies concerning the second advent of Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew 24, 2, this is another prophecy Jesus speaks he says, do you see the temple you're looking at? And they said, yeah. He says, not one stone will be left upon another. And the people scratched their heads and said, what do you mean by that? Because they, you know, that, the temple was a holy place. But Jesus was prophesying of an event that would occur in 70 AD. When the emperor of Rome ordered his troops to go into to Jerusalem. And to demolish it, to destroy Jerusalem. But then the temple, they didn't just knock it down. There was gold that was laced in the crevices of the temple rocks. And so the, when the captain of the guard and the general overseeing the defeat of Jerusalem saw that, he reported to the emperor back in Rome. And the Roman Empire emperor sent out a decree telling that, that general that he should burn the whole of the temple, burn it down. And the heat of the flames knocked down every stone. Not one stone should be left upon another to knock it down every stone. And the heat of the flames would burn the gold and they were to recuperate the gold and bring it back to Rome. And that gold is still in Rome to this day. So you see, what God says he means and what God means he says. And it comes to pass Not in a way where you can like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess you can kind of state. No, it comes to pass like a a bullseye, a bullseye approach to the T. So verse three, Jesus, his disciples say, tell us when will. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus answered them and he didn't rebuke them for having curiosity and things pertaining to the end times. He didn't say, well, you know, no man is to know the day or the hour. You should just stay ready and not really look out. You know, it's a, a wicked and perverted generation that seeks after a sign. He didn't tell them that. He said, good question. Take heed. I mean, the first words Jesus is used is not live haphazardly, live at random. It's the opposite. Take heed. Pay attention. Be on the alert. Be on the watch. Don't bury your head in the sand and hope things are going to pass by. No, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he tells him, don't, don't be troubled. So the purpose of Bible prophecy is not to trouble your spirit. It's actually to alleviate the trouble in your spirit. It's to give you rest in times like these. It's to make you to understand that the Lord is sovereign and he has his hand in the affairs of men, In what goes on in history. I mean, you study the book of Daniel. It's so accurate. The kingdoms that Daniel prophesied would come on the earth. The Babylonian Empire. Then ended with the, um, I don't know what they are in order, but the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire, the, the Medes and the Persian Empire, the kingdoms that would be uh, world powers in their day, which were not even in existence at the time of the writing of Daniel. So accurately fulfilled in order, even to the point where, like, he, he prophesies of the Grecian Empire being split. Which happened in the days of Alexander the Great, he was he was a, a a raging lunatic that just took over Europe very quickly. But then he died early, and his sons Ptolemy's and the other one I forget his name, they end up splitting the the kingdom of Greece into two into two kingdoms. They divided it right down the middle. Daniel prophesied that before Alexander the Great was even a thought in his parents' mind. It's so accurate that. People that read that that aren't believers, they doubt, they they try and doubt its authenticity that it was actually written in the time that it was written in because it's too accurate for it to be true. But it was written and archaeologists and all, you know, all the signs point that it was written in the year about 586 BC. So accurately predicted. And not only was it predicted, it came to pass exactly as he said to the, even to the Roman Empire. So you see that God is not totally disengaged from what goes on in history. God is intricately involved in the events that transpire throughout history, from Genesis even to Revelation. So He's not looking at 2020 and scratching His head, not and He's wondering, you know, wow, I I really had a plan for uh, Tommy this year, and I guess we'll have to revise. No, God knew exactly what 2020 would plan, and what would happen in 2020, what events would transpire, what events would occur in 2020. He knew exactly what uh, COVID would bring upon the earth. He knew exactly what the devil would try in the year of 2020. But the scripture says that God understands the things that are not yet done from ancient days. And so God didn't tell you 2020 was going to be a year of increase and a year of blessing. And then, oh, wow, I, I I didn't expect or I didn't anticipate the curveball 2020 would show no if he said 2020 is going to be a year of increase then you can bank your buck on it that 2020 is not going to be a year of your demise 2020 is not going to be the year where the devil has his way in your life 2020 is not going to be the year where the devil laughs at you the devil might have had the first laugh but God in his sovereignty will make it sure that you have the final laugh in the mighty name of Jesus Christ Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So you have people that say the, the, another thing, that this is, you know, the end is here. We're, we're done. We're done So This is the end. Jesus said the end is not yet. These are just going to be, what the Scripture says, the beginning of birth pains. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. I'm going to stop there. Actually, let me read the rest of the scripture. For all these are the beginning of sorrows, and they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, and betray one another, and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And the, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations and then the end shall come i want to go through eight clear signs that jesus is coming back soon that our gen- i believe our generation will be the generation that sees the return the, the rapture of the lord jesus christ and then seven years later the return of christ number 1 daniel 12 says that knowledge will increase on the earth the bible says the knowledge will increase and even travel on the earth will increase. So those are the first two. Number one is knowledge will increase. And number two, there will be great travel on the earth. People will be going from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. Well, up until the last century, it seemed like knowledge hadn't increased too much. I mean, we obviously, there, there's been um, technological advancements to a certain degree up until the early 1900s. 1800s, the industrial revolution, but really, if you took someone from the 1800s and put him in the year 1200, there would be a difference, but he'd still be able to get by pretty much. You take someone from 2020 and put him into 1919, he won't even know where he's at. You take someone from 2020 and put him in the year 1200, he won't know how to how to live. Where do I wash my clothes? Is there some sort of laundry center nearby? They wouldn't know how to live. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have, most people, especially my age, wouldn't even have any skill set that would allow them to live in those days because technology has so advanced that it's so distanced us. There's such a big gap. Though the gap of time is so little from the 1800s to 2020 in comparison to the totality of history, there's such a gap technologically that it's two complete different worlds. Well, Daniel 12 says, in the last days, there's going to be an accelerated increase of technology on the earth, of knowledge. I mean, in the last 20 years, we went from having Motorola phones that were like bricks, that if you threw at someone, the phone didn't break, the guy broke his head, to now, forget flip phones. There are. I mean, I got an iPhone X here. I'm on a laptop that can take me anywhere around the world by the touch of a button. I can book a flight today for tonight. And then great travel, I can be in, I can be anywhere in the world right now. Obviously, that doesn't have coronavirus restrictions. I can be anywhere in the world right now in less than 20 hours. It can be in Australia, the total where it used to take, you know, four or five weeks of uh, journey by by sea which was like not even guaranteed if you'd make it because of the, the waves of the sea and storms in the sea now I can get there without even scratching my without even wondering if I'm going to make it I can get there in 20 hours if I have a connection flight somewhere 22 hours or whatever it is and now they're starting to develop planes that'll be able to get you from New York to London in like an hour, an hour and a half. Super jets. In 20 years, we've gone from like edge technology. I mean, just talk about Wi Fi. Where I remember growing up, and I'm, I was born in 1992. I remember growing up connecting to the internet, and nobody else in the house was able to use the phone or to connect to the internet on their end. There was one computer. And there was one internet connection. And if anybody got on the phone, all they heard was, this like this screeching nail on a talk board sound. Now we can have like 18 devices all operating at like one gigabyte up uh, download speed and 500 megabyte upload speed without any hindrance. And those are just small things. You look at war. How We went from a sword to now we have like stealth bombers and all kinds of events. I mean, you want to talk about Zechariah's prophecy that there's going to be a weapon used in the battle of Armageddon that's going to literally burn people's eyes out of their sockets and their flesh will be consumed on the spot. Well, there was no weapon of that degree of destruction that existed prior to the nuclear developments in recent day. Even the atomic bomb couldn't produce that. It takes nuclear power to burn in a twinkling of an eye, to burn someone's flesh off so that they're reduced to just bones and burn their eyes and their sockets. That takes nuclear level power to reap those results. Well, Zechariah prophesied that five, six hundred years before Christ, that the battle of Armageddon is going to have that level of power Well, now you see what's going on in china russia iran we're in like a subtle cold war they're flashing their weapons they have north korea was just last year having parades military parades where they were showboating the nuclear weapons that they had developed so knowledge is is going to increase great travel number three earthquakes in various places in greater quality and in greater quantity so people always say well the scripture says matthew 24 that there's going to be various earthquakes in various places well there's always been earthquakes in various places but not at the level of recurrence and the level of intensity that we're seeing today there's earthquakes happening in the most uncommon places Earthquake in Italy just a couple of years ago shut down European travel. The tsunami in Indonesia wiped out. I forget, it's like 600,000 people died in that one tsunami that was caused by an earthquake in the middle of the Indonesian sea. And they're not happening once every like 30 years now. It's every year. There's some sort of, not just earthquake, but the scripture says in Luke 21 that the raging of the seas, where there's going to be natural... Phenomenons that have not Been witnessed so all these people that talk about Climate change and stuff like that that's just Falling in line with Biblical prophecy That yes there is going to be uh, Natural events but you Can't stop it there are going to be Natural events That are going to wipe out societies and civilizations. You saw that hurricane that happened In Houston A couple of years ago That a city so great like Houston Was shut down from one day to the other, through a natural uh, natural disaster. And so what are global powers trying to do? They're trying to make money off of it. You can't stop Bible prophecy. These things are going to continue to happen. And this isn't God's judgment on the earth. People say COVID's God's judgment. Or when an earthquake happens, and or Louisiana, what happened in New Orleans, that was God's judgment. That's not God's judgment. God's not judging the earth yet. And we're going to talk about that a little later on. But what we're seeing is not God's judgment being released, His wrath being released upon the earth. This is just the earth groaning and moaning, eagerly awaiting the day where Jesus comes back and sets everything in order. And also sin has a consequence on a land that God doesn't have to pour out judgment to fulfill the consequence that sin by itself will usher into a land. The Bible says... That righteousness exalts a nation. Sin brings a curse upon any people. So, you know, you see about the wildfires and um, the drought that California is going through. That's not God judging California. There are good Christians in California. That is just the sin of wicked people legislating wicked laws in power, in government, that is bringing in, ushering in, attracting by itself the curse of the law the curse of sin which if you read Deuteronomy 28 it talks about those things number 3 earthquakes in various places i was in an earthquake in uh i was in several earthquakes in guatemala while i was doing missions there in 2014 my buddy Kyle Drost and i spent 7 weeks there preaching the gospel saw so many people saved delivered and while we were there there was a 7.1 magnitude earthquake that shook the building we were we were in we were sleeping in a room, and I remember my bed moving six feet from the wall during that earthquake. It was the most powerful display of nature that I'd ever seen and witnessed. My bed literally moved, shook, and moved six feet away from the wall, and the earthquake lasted about 45 seconds to a minute, and then the house that I was in was swaying back and forth for about five minutes. The scripture says that those things aren't going to get slower. They're going to be like birth pains, so I, I was in um, the labor room with my wife in 2019 of July. And my wife, I remember the night prior to her delivering our child, this was July 13th at about 10, 9 p.m., we were at a soccer game, the Montreal Impact Soccer Game, and she started to feel these uh, tightenings in her belly which were tra- contractions, but early con- early contractions. And they didn't have much pain, but they were there, and they span... Uh, the gap between each one was about five minutes, and uh, we didn't make much of it. We thought maybe it was Braxton Hicks or whatnot, you know, the body just preparing itself because the date of uh, my son's delivery was about a week from then. But then midnight came around, and I'm about to put my head onto the pillow. I think I did. I actually laid my head onto that pillow, and then uh, when I did, about... Five seconds later, I heard my wife say, TJ. And she runs into the room and she says, I think my water just broke. And her water had broken. We went, this was midnight. So July 14th begins. We drive to the hospital and uh, we admit her. She goes through triage. And after that, they admit her into a labor room. And uh, they started to induce her because when your water breaks, you need, I think it's like 36 hours or so that they have to deliver the child to prevent infection or whatnot. So they induce her, and so those little contractions that were five minutes apart are now starting to be three minutes apart, two minutes apart, one minute apart. And instead of them being little painless contractions, the pain started to really grip in and started to go. It was more intense, and it was longer contractions. They weren't just little, you know, 10 second contractions. They were longer. Her bow, You can feel. It's like she had developed a six-pack of abs strong tightening and the intense pain and then leading up to labor to that moment of labor the pain and the intensity and the tightness of her belly didn't reduce, it got tighter and tighter and they were the gap between each contraction wasn't 3 minutes or 2 minutes or 1 minute now as she's in something what doctors call active labor they were 10 seconds apart and so Jesus is saying these end time events are going to be like Birth pangs. You're gonna feel one. You know we had one world war, 1914, 1918. Then another contraction happened in 1939 and 1945. Then another contraction happens in the Vietnam War. Then the 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 war in um, in Korea. Then the war. You see wars happening in Africa. The war of Rwanda. Then now you're seeing wars all throughout Africa. Boko Haram in Nigeria. And you're looking. You look in the last 20 years. The war of Iraq. The war of Afghanistan. The war of of um the war that was literally the Cold War between the United States and North Korea, you you see that these aren't getting less and less as you see the day of the Lord approaching. They're coming stronger and stronger. And now they're saying there might be a world war between uh, the United States and the Allied forces in China by the year 2022. So these things aren't going to slow down. Jesus said they're going to accelerate and they're going to be higher in intensity and higher in quantity before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Number four, departure from the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to try and go a little faster because I have a lot lot to cover today. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're just tuning in in now, welcome to the broadcast. If you would share the broadcast, it would be a great help to me. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This has to do... With uh, the apostasy that we're seeing happen right now. People that were once in the faith. So for Paul to say some will depart from the faith. They have to have once been in the faith. So it's not talking about the world. Mocking Christianity. It's talking about people who were once pastors. Ministers. Preachers. Firm believers. Departing from the faith. Taking heed and giving heed to seducing spirits. And doctrines of demons. Which is other religions. Other other philosophies, philosophies and worldviews. The scripture says that's going to be one of the ways to tell. And it won't happen in a region. It won't happen like the church in, uh, in, in Toronto is falling away from. It'll be a global thing that Christians around the world are falling away. That as they see the intensity and the heat of the oven burning brighter and brighter. Hotter and hotter. They're going to be like the seed that was on shallow ground. They were saved. They were Christians. They were firm in their faith. But because they didn't have any depth of soil, they weren't absolutely convicted of the reality of the things of God, they end up, the Bible says, the heat of the sun scorches the seed and it withers away and it becomes unfruitful. Number five, Israel reborn as a nation. Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says that the when you see the fig tree bud again, you can know that my... Return is near, even at the door, and the generation that sees the fig tree bud again will not pass away until all things take place. Well, every Jewish person listening to Jesus, remember Matthew, Jesus is not talking to Gentiles, he's talking to the Jewish population, to Jewish people. And he said, the, the generation that sees the fig tree but again, every Jewish listener understood and unmistakably knew what Jesus was talking about. That the fig tree was a symbol of national Israel. And he said, "When you see national Israel rebud again, born again, come back onto a global onto the global scene, you'll know that my return is soon. And the generation that sees that happen will not will not pass away until everything takes place." Well, May 14th. Remember, in 70 A.D., Jerusalem's taken over. Israel is no longer. A nation, Israel, is no longer um, on a national scene. They lose their national sovereignty. May Fourteenth, nineteen forty-eight, after World War II, the United Kingdom, who had um, claim on the land of Israel, the land that was allotted to Israel in Abraham, it was a Jewish it was a Jewish man that fabricate fabricated um, bullets for for the united kingdom for the allied forces they had run out of bullets and so they weren't able to continue on in fighting they were they were they weren't going to win the war and so it was a jewish scientist that actually produced um bullet powder gunpowder for them came up with a new recipe new ingredients or whatever and produced gunpowder for The United Kingdom and the Allied Forces, which gave them enough ammunition to defeat Hitler and and the invading uh, Nazi armies. So as a sign of appreciation, the United Kingdom asked that Jewish man, what would you like me to do? And he said, give my people their land back. And so they signed in one day, May 14, 1948, they they signed uh, Israel national sovereignty and gave them the land. Not the entirety of the land, because there's still more to Israel than what they currently have. But they gave that land, and especially Jerusalem, back to the Israeli people. And then since then, there has been a mass uh, return of Jews. Remember, in 70 AD was the diaspora. The Jews were scattered all around the world. Well, in in 1948, since they regained national sovereignty, and they regained the land that was allotted to them, In Abraham, uh, the the president, the first president, I forget his name, something, Ben something, calls back every Jewish person to return into the Holy Land. And so from New York, wherever they were scattered, Poland, Italy, United Kingdom, everywhere, they started to come back in masses. Well, Ezekiel 38 says that in the last days... I'm going to pretty much put a hook in my people's mouth and I'm going to bring them back to the land that I've given them. Benjamin Netanyahu, just recently, um, he declared a law called Aliyah. Aliyah is pretty much the ascent where he called Jews all around the world, no matter where they're at, and he said, if you'll come back to Israel, we'll give you land free. We'll pay your flight and your moving fees and we'll give you an allowance for the first year you're here until you get yourself set up and established. And so millions of Jews are in absurd proportions coming back into the land of Israel. Well God Jesus said that is going to be one of the telltale signs that I'm returning And the generation that sees the rebirth of the nation of Israel, 1948, and a generation biblically up to 120 years. So 1948 plus 120 is 2068. The generation that sees that happen will not pass away until they see everything else come to pass. Number six, everything set up for a one world government and money system will happen. Revelation 13, the scripture says that there's going to be a man called Antichrist who's going to set up. Uh, a system where a man is going to have a, a mark set up on his right hand or on his forehead and no man will be able to buy or sell without receiving a mark on his hand or on his forehead well when John on the island of Patmos received that revelation he I'm sure in the natural in his carnal mind said how can that ever be I mean who would ever who could ever uh, hold up that money system worldwide since they didn't have the technology set up for that Forget that. In 1970s, my mentor in the faith, Tiff Shuttlesworth, he had to preach that message in the 1970s, and people thought he was crazy. In the 1980s, not the 70s, sorry, the 80s and the 90s. In the 80s and the 90s, people were preaching that, and they thought they were crazy, that there would be a way to literally block off transactions if people didn't have a mark in their hand. So they were preaching that there's going to be a technology that's going to develop where they can put a system in your hand that you wouldn't be able to have any type of economic sway, any type of transaction done on your behalf without receiving that mark in your hand or on your forehead. Well, in the 80s and 90s, even in the early 2000s, there was nothing that could fulfill that prophecy. But now they have the chip. They have ID chips. Go look it up. Gates, ID 2020. Where they, they can put a minuscule chip in your hand and if you don't have a hand because you're an amputee, they can put it in your forehead and uh, they can literally hook in and wirelessly network your bank account, your MasterCard, your credit cards, your health information, everything would be on that one little chip. Well, I'm not saying that if you take that chip right now that that's the mark of the beast, but I am saying... That that chip is there. That technology is there so that when the Antichrist does come on the world scene, everything is already in place. There's no technology. You know, the scripture says that you won't ever even be able to hide from the Antichrist. There won't be a place for you to hide. Well, that couldn't be fulfilled in 30 AD or 150 AD or even 1200 AD. You can easily just... Go AWOL and live in a mountain somewhere and not bother anybody. But now, with satellite in place, they can locate you anywhere. They have the ability, the military has the ability not only to locate you, but they can take up a facial imprint of you from space, a facial recognition system where they... they, Do you think it honestly took them 12 years or however long it was to kill bin Laden? To find where Osama bin Laden was? They knew where he was. Day one. All the technology is set up. They have little um, microscopic little flies. They're not microscopic, but they're tiny. That they release military grade. They're little, uh, they're like minute, minute robots systems. Where they have cameras on them. Military use them right now. Where they can, they can fly that thing anywhere around the world. Go into places, go into rooms, go into houses, go into buildings. There is, there is nowhere where you can hide today. And so, the system, the technology is set up for when the Antichrist, when he is revealed, the man of perdition. It's not like they have to develop these things. These things are already here. Number seven, false prophets and false Christs and doctrines of demons will rise up. And we read that in Matthew 24. There's going to be many false Christs, false messiahs. People claiming to know the way. People claiming to to have a way to salvation. People claiming to, to pretty much be deity. And we can see that all around the world. There's a bunch of wackos. Number eight, and the last one is like, Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. As in the days before the flood, people were marrying And given in marriage. I used to think that that's like just. You know people will be getting married. And people will be given in marriage. You know. I mean that's always happened. I don't see how that's really a distinctive mark. Of the end time generation. But then when you study it. He's not talking. He's not talking about. There's going to be people getting married in the end days. That's been happening since Adam and Eve. He's saying that there's going to be people. That are married. Divorce. And then given back in marriage. That divorce. Divorce. On the earth is going to accelerate. That there's going to be a high percentage of divorces. Well, I can't speak for everywhere else, but I know in Quebec the percentage of divorce, the r- divorce rate right now is sixty something percent. It's so high the government has given up giving out um, the male's last name to the last name to the female. So like my, I got married in Quebec with my my wife, and she doesn't have my la- my last name um, legally on paper. She has her own last name because the government. Is so fed up and tired with having to like redraw up all the papers legally and having to go to court and changing people's names. So tired doing of doing all those things that they just said, you know what? We're not doing any more last name exchanges. You keep your name. You keep your name, and that's it. That'll settle it. Sixty plus percent divorce rate in in Quebec. In the United States, I'm pretty sure it's probably not that high, but it's probably at least forty percent. I would say has to be over thirty percent. Well, Jesus said one of the marking tales is that there'll be no commit. One of the marking um, aspects of the end days is that there'll be no commitment in marriage. And then uh, you read the days of Noah. What was one of the emblematic uh, signs of the days of Noah? Wickedness, corruption in government. The Bible says when God was about to destroy the earth, he says every intent of the heart of man was only wicked continually, only evil continually. Nobody thought good things anymore. Nobody was pure anymore. Nobody had innocence except for Noah. And then it says, as in the days of Lot, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. What were the days of Lot? Do you remember when the angels were sent to to, um, preserve and to, to rescue Lot? And they came in, and the men of Sodom. What did they? What did they say to Lot, when they when Lot took those angels in and then locked them in his house? They said, "Send those men out so we can have sex with them." Those were men talking to other men. Say, Lot even said, "Take one of our daughters." They said, "We don't want your daughters. We want the men." Genesis chapter eighteen. Well, Jesus said that in in the days of Lot, homosexuality was at a It was everywhere. You couldn't people were, the Bible says in Romans 1, burning in lust. Men burning in lust after another. I remember listening to Lester Sumrall not too long ago, where he said in the 1970s he was prophesying of seven things that the Lord showed him would come to pass in the end times. And one of them was that a mayor, a political leader, would uh, march in a gay pride parade. And that there would be gay pride. There wasn't gay pride parades in the 1970s going on, let alone politicians marching in them. And one of the uh, things the Lord showed Lester Summerall is that there's gonna be a day soon where not only will there be parades where they'll openly confess and profess in themselves to be homosexuals and be proud of it, but that politicians would use those parades to gain votes and they'll march and they would march in them. Well, that that's starting. That started to happen in Canada in the early 2000s. Justin Trudeau after 2010. And then you can see it. Governors and politicians across America marching in those parades. You tell someone in 1970 that was going to happen, they would have thought you had drank the Kool-Aid. Well, those things not only have come to pass, but not in our generation. They are coming to pass right now. Even conservative governments, in order to win more people on their side, are saying, you know, we'll mar- Aaron O'Toole, the Canadian conservative leader now, said, We're, I'm going to start marching in, in gay pride parades. I think it's time we need to, you know, progress in society and stuff. Isaiah says, woe unto them that call good evil, and those who call evil good. And the scripture says one of the ways to mark the end time generation is that men will call good evil. And they'll identify evil with good. As the days of Noah, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. I think I'm going to save the next two points for Thursday, 1 p.m. Which are, will the church go through the great tribulation? And then number two, what are qualifications that we must meet? to make the rapture and what is the rapture? I think I'm going to go through those on Thursday, 1 p.m. So if you're here today, I didn't preach on this just to, you know, to get you scared. I didn't take an hour of your time to put fear in you. All this I spoke and preached on for an hour to show you that we're in the last minutes, the last seconds of humanity and his- the history of humanity. The end of the age is upon us and that now let me, list, let me read this. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Take heed to yourselves. So Jesus takes this long diatribe of Scripture to talk to them about the signs of the coming, the, way, the, way, the raging of the seas, the stress of the nations, perplexity amongst the nations, and then he says in verse 34, take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Now's not a time to be working up for retirement so you can spend the last 15 days of your life, the 15 years of your life, living in comfort and luxury on the earth. The scripture says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now's not the time to sit down and relax, to be lukewarm, and just stand by and say, well... You know, God's sovereign. He'll see things out. All I know is I'm going to go to heaven. What about others? The Bible says, Do not only be concerned for your own needs, but also for the concerns of others. Be concerned with others. Be occupied in your mind with the well-being of others. Find you're saved. Find your rapture ready. Find you are on your way to heaven. But don't be... The Bible says, don't be weighed down by the cares of your own life alone so that that day comes upon you unexpectedly. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 24, blessed is that servant whom when his master will come will find so working. Now's the time not to lay back and be at ease. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. The Bible says in the days where the kings went to war, David stayed at home and that's when he had his sin with Bathsheba and killed Uzziah and he went off the rails now's not the time to stay home and stay you know they, they like to say sit on your blessed assurance now's the time to verse 36 watch and pray so that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming on the earth and to stand before the son of man in that day Now's the time to not be like the man who received the one talent and bury it, but to take what God has given you and invest it wholeheartedly into the kingdom of God so that on eternity's morn, just like Paul said, knowing we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we do work hard to persuade men. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. You are charged. The Bible says you are to be ready in season and out of season. Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. Be ready in season and out of season to rebuke, to to reprove, to exhort, to teach, to train. To get others saved. I mean, that was the secret to Esther. We would not be reading about Esther unless she was concerned about others. Mordecai said, if you don't rise up, deliverance for the Jews will come from some other place. But you and your house will be destroyed. But perhaps you were born for such a time as this. You got to think of yourself as being highly highly honored. Because God saw it fit not to place you on the earth in the days of uh, 1200 A.D., where not much was going on. God saw it fit not to place you on the earth in the even in the days of Elijah. God saw it fit not to place you on the earth in the days of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God saw it fit to place you to strategically position you on planet Earth. In the greatest generation, the generation that's going to be Utilized by God's Spirit to bring in the last harvest, and then see the physical return of Jesus Christ to be raptured up to see the last moments of time. You weren't placed here by accident. You weren't placed here through, through some cosmological accidental event. You weren't placed here because your parents saw it fit to have you. You were born for such a time as this. The scripture says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I go even further, before you were even formed in your mother's mind to have you, God said, I knew you. Before you were born and consecrated as a prophet to the nations, I set you up, uh, before you were born, sorry, I consecrated and set you apart as a prophet to the nations. Not to be folding your hands and twiddling your thumbs but to be used by God, to like Paul said, not have any of these things move you so that you might finish your course with joy to solemnly testify of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking one whose heart is ready, loyal, faithful to the cause of Christ. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I would that you be hot or that you would be cold. But since you are lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Don't chance. These are not days to chance it with God. To hope you're making heaven by the skin of your teeth. Get on fire for God. Make sure you have oil in your lampstand. Make sure that you're steered up, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Make sure that you're watching and praying. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, the scripture says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time. It's high time. If it was high time in Romans 13, written in what, 70 A.D.? If it was high time then, it's much it's highest time now to awake out of sleep. The devil, I feel, has lulled some people to sleep that belong to the body of Christ. Lulled you to sleep, put you in some fairy tale land where you've just been like checking in, 9, p- 9 a.m., checking out, 5 p.m. You go home, you prepare supper, you have this like loop. A routine that has no room for any of the things of God, just been working for self. Check out, go home, make supper, watch, uh, go for a walk after supper, watch Netflix till you fall asleep, and you knock out on the couch. Go to bed, wake up in the morning, repeat cycle. And the devil can put you in this cyclical, vicious routine where you're st- you think. You're walking on a narrow path, but you're further than, f- as far as far can be. That's why Jesus said, many will come in that day and they'll cry, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, depart from me. You, I never knew you. You doers of lawlessness. You have neither part nor play in this matter. Because you had no part or play in my kingdom and in establishing my kingdom on the earth. It's high time to awake out of, sal- out of sleep and to, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's not a time to be flirting with sin. It's not a time to be entertaining your right eye. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it far from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it as far as you can. It's better for you to enter into life blind than to go to hell with two eyes. Where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched, and the darkness can even be felt. The scripture says if your right foot, you know it's interesting, he says right eye, right hand, and right foot. Right eye pertains to what you see. It's not a time to entertain pornography. It's not a time to entertain uh, debauchery on your television screen. Sexual immorality. There's some people you watch adultery committed on your television screen because it entertains you and then you wonder why your marriage is in shambles. Cut it off. Don't Netflix and chill. If you have to get rid of Netflix, get rid of the junk. Get rid of it. If you can't control yourself, cut it off. Jesus was essentially saying is cut off any source in life that would cause you, that would cause you to sin. Your right, your right hand. What you do, evading taxes. Trying to get around your taxes, your right hand. Putting it to the plow of iniquity. The Bible says the worker of iniquity, he who puts his hand to iniquity, to sin, shall be destroyed. Cut it off before you're destroyed. Be sure your sins will find you out. And if you don't get rid of sin, sin will get rid of you. And then your right foot. Where you go. I, I just can't seem to stop drinking. Stop going to the bar. Stop going to the liquor commissions and buying. Cut it off. Cut off the supply. The resources from which you're getting the strength to keep on sinning. Dry up the reservoir of sin. Now is high time. The Bible says the Son of Man will come on a day you're not aware of and at an hour you do not expect. And if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming like I did, I still have time. You don't know what tomorrow holds. The scripture says a fool boasts about tomorrow. The scripture says, do not boast about tomorrow. You don't know what the day will hold. Your life is like a vapor, a mist that is here today and gone tomorrow. The trumpet, every prophecy leading up to the second coming of Christ, which is seven years after the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture is a signless event. But if you see the signs for for, uh, Christmas coming around, how much closer is Thanksgiving? The signs for the second coming are here. That means the rapture is seven years before that, so the rapture is even, even closer. And the scripture says he'll come in an hour, like a thief in the night. When men are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come, like birth pangs upon a pregnant lady. Knowing such things, let us lay aside the unruly works of darkness. Let us walk as children of light. Let us not take part in the works of darkness, but rather expose them. The scripture says in Ephesians, knowing the times, let us redeem the times, knowing that the days are evil. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't have absolute certainty in your heart, conviction of the reality of the presence of Christ in you, that your sins are forgiven, that you've repented, that you're no longer tolerating sin in your spirit. You're no longer on that broad way that leads to destruction. You're no longer in the grip of sin, but you've been set free. If you've never had that assurance, if you've never had that experience, salvation is not a prayer you pray at an altar. Salvation is an experience by which you are born again by the Spirit of God and the old heart is removed. A new heart is placed in its stead. The old desires are removed. New desires are embedded within. The old uh, lusts and appetite for this world are removed and a new appetite for righteousness and God's kingdom is in its place. If you've never done that, You need to be born again. It can't just be, you know, I know I'm saved. Are you born again? Does God's Spirit abide in you? Romans 8 says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not Christ's. Do you abide in Him? Does His Word abide in you? For He said, if you... Abide in me and my word. And, and you continue in my word. You are truly disciples of mine. Don't follow the deceit. Of being a false apostle. A minister of uh, the scripture talks about false apostles and false disciples. Just like there's false Christs and false teachers and false. Um, false messiahs. There are also false disciples. People. That deceive their own hearts. That's why James 1 says, James 1 says, Do not be forgetful hearers of the word, deceiving your own selves, but be doers of the word. For he that hears the word and does nothing about it is like a man who built his house upon the sand. And when the wind, the wind came and the waves blew and the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell and great was its fall." The Scripture says, he that hears the word and does not do it, he deceives his own self. Don't deceive yourself any longer. Know that you know today that you're born again, that your certificate of debt has been absolved. It's done away with. That there's not one sin standing between between you and a holy God. That sin no longer has dominion over you. You should obey it in its lust. That you're now walking in the grace and power of God to live a sinless life. I'm not saying you'll never make another mistake, but I am saying there should be something in you that when you do make a mistake, when you do sin, that if you're born again, there'll be something in you that'll hate that thing and that you'll pray and ask God not only for you to be forgiven, but to be cleansed of that thing and that you'll do like Jesus said, go and sin no more. It is high time to awake unto that salvation. If that's you and you've never done that, or maybe you have. You've fallen away and you, you're not living quite on fire for God as you know you should. And you're like, maybe you're like the Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia, where the scripture says they had a reputation of being alive, but internally they were dead. Just like the Pharisees, outwardly they were white, they were, they were nice, clean and adorned, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. They were whitewashed sepulchres, the Bible says. You can deceive your pastor, you can deceive your family, you can deceive your wife and your husband. But ultimately, you cannot deceive God. God is not mocked. And whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Sow to your spirit today. Get saved. Get right on track with God. Make sure that when you put your head to the pillow tonight, there's not a question mark next to your salvation. But you know that you know that just as the scripture says, I believe in my heart. God raised Jesus from the dead, and I confess Him. Notice how it doesn't say He confessed Him as Savior of your life. There's a lot of people that call Christ Savior, but they haven't called Him Lord. And the Bible says only those who confess Him as Lord. What's a Lord? A Lord is someone who executes authority over your life. When He says to do something, you do it. When He says to get rid of something, you get rid of it. When He says to go somewhere, you go. Those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Bible says, those will be saved. So without further ado, if that's you and you'd like to get right with God, just pray this from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you sent Jesus to die for me, that on the third day, he rose again. He ascended. And I confess, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Come live in my heart. Fill me with your Spirit. Grant me grace to serve you the remainder of my days. Empower me to be a faithful and wise servant so that when you come, I'll not be found idle, but I'll be found working. Where I was weak, make me strong. Old things are past. I am a new creature heaven is my home, God is my father, and I'm never going back. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to get in touch with me by going to salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up, if you can put that in the comment section, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out, get me your information, your address. I want to get some um, literature to you. I want to get some Products to you that is going to help you in your newfound walk with Christ. So I, I don't want to just take you as a newborn in the kingdom and throw you in a room and just, well, fend for yourself. No, I want to make sure you make it. I want to make sure that on that day, eternity's mourn, that we're rejoicing together, standing before God, blameless in white robes of righteousness. I want to make sure this isn't just a blimp on the map, but that this is the, the the defining moment of your life where everything from today onward, as you serve the Lord, goes upward for you. For the rest of you watching online, I, I'm going to pray for you, Father. I pray for everyone watching right now, that everyone that has lost their fire, their first love, just like Ephesians, they they knew how to walk through the motions of things. They knew how to do the Christian thing. They knew how to speak the Christian thing. They knew how to uh, perform the Christian routine. They knew how to lift their hand in church. They knew how to call out false apostles and 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 and, and knew how to knew how to do things. In, in, in Christianese, in a Christianese way. Father, I thank you that the same way that you diagnosed them and said you do all things well, but there's one thing that you've lost and that's your first love, their first fire, your first flame, your first sincerity, your first passion. You didn't let them continue in that vicious loop, but you warned them and then you provided a remedy and saying, repent and do the deeds you did at first. And the fire will come back. I pray, Father, for everyone watching right now that have grown weary in their spirit. They've maybe disengaged. Maybe they're running on empty. They haven't prayed like they should have prayed. They haven't been watching the way they know they should have been watching. They haven't been alert and sober-minded and in church. And maybe this whole pandemic has caused them to have the wind taken out of their sail. I pray in Jesus' mighty name, let the fire of God fall on them once again. I pray, just like John the Baptist Baptist baptized in water, you said, I, Jesus, will baptize in the spirit and in fire. Baptize them afresh and anew in the Holy Ghost and fire even now. I prophesy new life in your spirit. I prophesy a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, even as the wind blows where you wish, where where you where where He wishes, and you hear the sound thereof, but can't tell where it comes from, neither where it's going. I prophesy that wind, just like Ezekiel did, where he prophesied in that army that was alive, but they weren't. There was no spirit in them. There was no life in them. I pray in Jesus' name that the life of God, the wind of God, is going to come behind your sails in Jesus' mighty name that where you were weak, where you had lost hope, where you were growing weary, new strength comes in your body right now, new strength in your spirit, new strength to discipline your body, to run this race in such a way, to be like a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ and not entangled in the affairs of this life, but to have eyes set on the things of heaven, to keep your mind set on things which are above in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive grace right now to set your mind on things above, to set your mind on eternity. To set to have eternity stamped upon thine eyeballs. That everywhere you go, everything you look at will be in eternity. In sight. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you drink, whatever you eat, I pray, will be done to the glory of God in your life. In the name of Jesus. I curse apathy in you. I curse indifference. I curse A a lackadaisical attitude, a laid back spirit, an easy, comfortable spirit. I curse that. that. From today, there'll be a passion and a diligence, an urgency in you. Rest and peace in your spirit when it comes to, you know, your mind and your heart. But an urgency and no rest. Just like Paul said, I have no rest until I see all Israel saved. Where he said, I, I could wish that I was a curse so that I can see my brethren according to the flesh saved. That Paul said, nothing moves me in life, nor do I consider my own life as any account dear to myself. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he said, knowing that I must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I do all things. I do all things in light of that moment where I'll have to stand before God and give an account of those things done in the flesh, whether good or bad. Receive grace that when Jesus calls you home or the rapture happens, or Jesus calls you home at a good old age and you stand before him, receive grace today to live a life that would produce those famous words that we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in now into the joy of the Lord in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive that for yourself, just take 10 seconds. If you're not driving, just lift your hands and thank God. Thank God that there's a refreshing coming on you. I pray a refreshing in your spirit, a refreshing of a first love, first passion the deeds you did at first when you were on fire for soul winning when you were on fire to tell people about Jesus when you went to your family reunions and it wasn't you talking about just politics but your your concern was about the eternal well-being you know everybody wants to convert someone to Trump and everyone wants to convert someone to Biden everyone's trying to uh, wrestle in the political arena but i'm telling you if you'll just wrestle in the spiritual arena, and get them won over to Christ, then you won't have to convince them whether what right, what, where's the right way in the political arena. They'll just know the spirit of God will lead them to vote right. Stop trying to convince someone of of, of your political leader's uh, success and their 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 rightness in life. In te- instead, convince people by the word of God through the scriptures of the Savior of the Messiah not only in word, but then demonstrate the power of God so that they'll, be, that they'll be absolutely convinced that Jesus is not a way amongst many ways, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. Look at that, Princess Murray, not even talking about headaches, and just the anointing, getting on her. My headache was really bad this morning, and now after, my, after your prayer, my headache has gone down immensely. Praise the Lord. And whatever is left is going to come out right now in Jesus' name the name of Jesus. Another way you can show God you're tied in to His agenda in these last days is through your giving. It's through your partnership in uh, in God's agenda. What He's doing on the earth. God's, God's always about winning souls. God is always about winning the lost. That's what He does. The Bible talks about the Spirit of God who's on the earth right now. Convicting men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the way you store up treasures in heaven, and not only will you store up treasures in heaven, Jesus said if you give up property, land, houses, family, brother, sister, for my sake and the gospel's sake, Jesus said you will in this lifetime reap a hundredfold property, land, family, brother, sister, and in the life to come, eternal life. So there's a reward in heaven. When you take, that's why Jesus said to that guy with the five talents, He took his five talents and he he bore five more talents. And Jesus called him a, a profitable servant. He invested correctly. And then the one who took what he had and didn't do anything about it, just concerned about himself, Jesus called that man a wicked and lazy and unprofitable servant. God pays attention with how you deal in the area of finances. And I'll go a step further. I believe God uses your finances as a litmus test for your level of consecration and love that you have for His kingdom. How do I know that? Because Jesus stood by the treasury of the temple and He watched how, how people put their offerings into the temple treasury. And a lot of people came in and they gave these large offerings, but they had a lot, a lot of money and their large offerings in comparison to what they had didn't... Didn't get God to to be wowed by it. But then that woman came in with two mites and she sowed it. And I'm sure people stood by and said, man, she's expecting to be blessed off those two mites. That won't do her any good. And they probably boated and wore badges of honors, showboated and wore badges of honors as to how much they had given that day. But you know what? Jesus stood and said, this woman, he called her out publicly and told his disciples, this woman has given more than anyone else because they all gave it out of their excess. This woman, out of her deep poverty, gave in everything that she had. Gave everything that she had. Paul said in the book of Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 8, he said, I'm testing, talking to the Corinthians, I'm testing the sincerity of your love by your giving. When I wanted to show my wife I loved her and I wanted to show her that I I want to spend the rest of my life with her, I didn't give her a ring pop. I didn't go to the local um, candy store and get her a bag of gummy worms. I didn't get her, you know, I didn't even get her a favorite chocolate because even that could not display the love I had for her. I sold my vehicle and bought an engagement ring to give her so that she can see I wasn't playing around. Because I didn't have enough money to buy a nice engagement ring, so I sold what I had and bought it. Well, that was a display. She, she didn't have to stutter or, you know what, when I proposed to her, she said, let's just take a couple of dates. No, she knew I loved her. She knew I was committed to her because of that act. Well, in the same way, one of the ways we show God we love Him and we're committed is by saying, Lord, I know your greatest desire on the earth is to save the lost. There's no greater cause in the heart and in the mind and in the eyes of God And the salvation of lost humanity. And I'm going to show I love you by backing that work on the earth. So as you give today, and you know what? When you do that, just remember, you're not putting them into my hands. You're not giving or sowing an offering into these hands. These hands can't can't multiply your finances back to you. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, 8, Here on earth, mortal men receive tithes and offerings. But there in heaven, God receives your tithes and your offerings of whom it is witness that he lives. It's a spiritual transaction. You're taking whatever you have, not putting it into my hands. You're not trying to help me. You're putting it into God's hands. And God's hands are multiplying hands. And he said, see if I will not open up the heavens and pour you out a blessing. As you've sanctified the little and put it into my hands, See if I'll not open up the heavens and pour you out a blessing you couldn't even have imagined in your wildest dreams to have for yourself. Giving, I want you to write that in the comment section. Giving helps me, not me. My giving to God helps me, as in you. My giving helps me. My giving does not help God. God owns all the silver and all the gold. My giving helps me. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.